0: The story is from Acts 12, 1 through 17. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, while guards in front of the door We're keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone into the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He did not realize that what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went outside and walked along a lane when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. As soon as he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark where many had gathered and were praying. When he knocked at the outer gate, a maid named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she insisted that it was so. They said... It is his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the gate, they saw him and were amazed. He motioned to them with his hand to be silent and described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he added, Tell this to James and to the believers. Then he left and went to another place. Let us pray for the sermon today. Almighty Father, thank you and praise you for everyone here this day and for the fact that you want to speak to each of us. I pray humbly that you would use me to do that, that you would give me words that we need to hear that are your words for our life. We pray that in faith and hope together. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. So let's make sure first we understand who the people are that are involved here. This James who is killed is a different James than Jesus' brother. This is James Zebedee, brother of John Zebedee. Okay, so that's this James. The Herod here is a different Herod than you read about in the Gospels. This is a later Herod. Family tree of Herods are weird. everyone's name is Herod. Except for the women. Their name is Herodias. (laughs) This is one of the, like, 37 Herods. This Peter is the same Peter who has already once in chapter 5 been released from prison by an angel. So this is time number two for him for that to happen. These that are referred to as some who belong to the church that Herod laid its hands on violently. We don't know who they are, but I'm going to talk about them. This John Mark is, according to the Bible, this is probably the Mark. Colossians says is a cousin of Barnabas. Okay, outside of the Bible, tradition says this John Mark, probably the author of the Gospel of Mark, and according to some church traditions. With his mom, he owned the house where the Last Supper occurred and Pentecost occurred. Maybe, maybe. This Rhoda, who is called a maid here in the NRSV, it's an interesting word to translate. Other translations say servant girl. My favorite is the King James, so we're going to use that. This Rhoda is a damsel. is a damsel. She shows up nowhere else other than in this wonderful, wonderful appearance. Okay, so we're going to focus today on three of the people, sort of, because one of them is not really a person. Peter, James, and some who belong to the church. Okay, let's start with Peter. Peter is freed here by an angel, and that reminds us what Jesus tells us that for God, all things are possible. And Peter being freed reminds us that freeing people is a fundamental part of our God's heart. That's what Peter reminds us in this story. Reminds you something I said when we talked about the Damascus Road. I said, I I told three stories. I said, this is about souls turning into Paul's. Can you imagine how many stories there are like this that we'll never know about? But there's a lot of stories we'll never know about that are like what happened to Peter. God freeing people, literally, from prisons or I guess more metaphorically, I'd still say literally, from addictions, from relationships, from situations, God freeing people. It's no mistake that the Exodus is like one of the most used images in all of Scripture. God is the God of the Exodus. We're reminded of that here. But then there's James And James is not freed or liberated, James is killed. And yet, I mean, surely, the same Christians that we hear about twice in this passage praying for Peter prayed for James, too. Prayed as fervently for James. It says James was killed with the sword, which is probably a shorthand way of saying it was an official execution. I mean, we know Herod was involved. I mean, if Herod had soldiers seize Peter so that Peter could then be executed, it's probably what happened with James. So it's not like it happened so suddenly that they didn't have a chance to pray repeatedly and fervently for James like they did for Peter. They did, almost certainly. So James dies. Did, he, did James have less faith? than Peter did? Or was James's preaching more offensive to Herod than Peter's? Did the church have less faith when it prayed for James than when it prayed for Peter? Is that how you explain it? I'm going to say no to those things, especially the last one. Did they have less faith when they prayed for James? You notice something remarkable about this story? how small, almost non-existent their faith is, right? Why are they shocked, utterly shocked? They don't believe, Rhoda, that the thing that they've been praying for has come true. They don't believe it. (laughs) It's not a lot of faith. God still answers their prayer. Let's talk about some who belong to the church. Luke tells us almost in passing, you you can gloss over it. Herod laid hands on violently, arrested them, and laid hands on violently, we don't know. I mean, probably, you know, they were they were going to be killed too, maybe. Luke doesn't tell us what happens to these folks. We don't know. So, what should we say about this? Peter, James, these other folks? Well, I've got to be honest with you. I struggle with this, and here's Here's a reason that I struggle with this chapter, with all of Acts, with preaching Acts. Because there is a point of view. I've heard it articulated multiple times. I've heard it articulated recently, passionately, that says something like this. Look, chapter like this, the thrust of it is God liberating Peter. Just talk about that. Focus on the miracles. Miracle after miracle after miracle, that's what the book of Acts is. Focus on that. Don't focus on the James part. You got to talk about the miracles because if you don't just focus on the miracles, you're revealing your own lack of faith. And worse, you're maybe encouraging such faithlessness among your congregants. We need to pray big, believe big, be bold, and focus on the repeated string of miracles in the book. Because if you don't do that, if you don't preach miracles, we won't believe for miracles. And if we don't believe for miracles, we won't experience miracles. And if we don't experience miracles, we aren't living faithfully. That is one way to think about preaching Acts 12 and the whole book of Acts. And I want to say I'm, I'm deeply sympathetic with the general heart behind this point of view. Because in our context where, what? If you go to theology, academia, it's called demythologizing. If you go to what? General culture, it's called secularizing. It is true that people don't believe in miracles on the whole anymore. And that staking our flag in the fact that we worship a God who actually does still raise the dead to life and everything else associated with that gives healing to the sick, that's important, even critical. We can't pray and hope too boldly. I totally agree with that and resonate with that and say that's important. But I have some worries about the perspective that I just articulated, that I should only focus on the miracles. I have some real worries. Here's the first. I think that that can lead to an overly simplistic reading of Acts that's not faithful to the book. It is no mistake or accident, this is inspired scripture, that Luke told us about James, didn't just tell us about Peter. And even though he does it quickly and in passing, and doesn't tell us what happens to them, he also tells us about those others who were taken and arrested. In fact, if you think about it, we don't know what happened to those others, Think about it, I think it's highly likely that there's more unanswered prayers in Acts 12 than there are answered prayers. There's more non miraculous outcomes, it would seem, than Peter like supernatural miraculous liberation. It seems. It's just the nature of the story Luke tells. And I want to deal with that. Other thing I worry about, I'll tell you why I'm smiling in a minute. The other thing I worry about is I don't want us to define miracle too narrowly. I don't want us to define the activity of the Holy Spirit too narrowly. I think that if you only regard angelic visitations with chains falling off and doors being flung open of their own accord as miraculous, you're going to probably miss most of what God does in the world. I'm smiling because that was the heart of our corporate prayer today. I told Quincy what I was going to preach on with fear and trepidation this morning. She leaned back when we were praying and she said, these are miracles. God works in a lot of ways. You can focus on some amazing, amazing things God does in the book of Acts and in our lives. And we should. But we shouldn't focus on those things to the exclusion of the great mass of stuff that God does every day if we only have eyes to see. If we focus only and talk only about the miraculous, like Peter being liberated, what do you do with the disciples casting lots in Acts chapter 1 and feeling like that was God speaking to them? It's a pretty important decision. Who's going to be the 12th now? Casting stones on the ground doesn't feel very miraculous, but they felt that God was speaking. We're going to see the same thing when they deliberate together in Acts chapter 15. How does God work in the world? Is it only through things like Peter being released from prison? I worry deeply if that's the rubric we use as saying that's God at work. I worry that if we focus only on praising God for things like chains falling off here, literally, I worry that if we focus only on that, that will lead people into despair. Andrea prayed for our Bible study at Vero. It was amazing this week, like it often is. There was a woman who, one thing I love about this Bible study is people feel free. I'm in the middle of like reading something or an impassioned diatribe. And they'll just cut me off and ask some random question. Love that. I was in the middle of something great this week. And this going, what do I do when I pray all the time and God doesn't answer and I'm tired of keep praying? Okay, well, let's talk about that. So that was what was asked. And I worry about the sort of Christianity that says, what, just keep praying harder and God will necessarily do that miracle. The outcome will be Peter and not James. And if it's not, you don't have enough faith. I think that leads to despair. And I think that's a distortion of what it means to follow this God. Acts 12 reminds us that our prayers are not always answered in the way that we want them to be and think that they need to be to be considered answered. James reminds us that. People that were arrested remind us that. What I'm reminded of when we read Acts, and we read this string of miracles, is history is made up of so many through lines, right? John tells us this. The Gospels are just a handful of through lines out of millions or billions that could have been told. He says, look, if everything that Jesus did and said were written down, I don't think all the books in all the world could contain what he did. That is an important reminder. And I want to say something controversial, but it's not controversial. For everything that happens to Peter, there are more things that don't look like that. You know how many miracles you have to have seen happen as a result of your prayers? To be a saint? One or two, depending on the category and the count. That means that things that happen to Peter in chapter 12, based on the experience of what thousands of years of Christians following God faithfully, are not everyday occurrences. They're just not. And then there's this. Peter, who is saved here from imprisonment and almost certain execution. You know what probably happens to Peter a few years later? He is executed. Now, that's not in Scripture. That's Christian history, Christian tradition. Tradition has it that Peter is executed in Rome years later, He's going to be crucified. And according to the story, he has to be crucified upside down because he's not worthy of dying like his Lord died. So God saves and delivers Peter from death in order to what? Deliver him to death? We pray for deliverance from pain, from sadness, from prison, from suffering. Yes, and we should. And we should hope that God gives us that now. And we should believe that he can and that sometimes he does. Absolutely. But when God does not, give us that deliverance now in the way that we want, that is not a sign of our lack of faith or God's lack of goodness. That's what Peter and James and these other arrested Christians remind us of in Acts 12. We're almost done, but I do have to read another fairly extended passage of Scripture. This was drawn to my attention by uh, one of the authors I was reading this week. And this, wow, this really hit me. I want you to pay careful attention to this. This is from chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And I want you to think as I read this. You pray and you live with faith. What's the outcome for you? What does God give you for that? What is the outcome of your faith? Hebrews eleven, thirty-two 32 through 38. What more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept relief in order to obtain a better resurrection. Faith leads to glorious, amazing, miraculous outcomes all the time, right? I just read it to you. But you keep reading. It can lead to that, and oftentimes does. Please don't mishear me. We should pray and we should hope that we are Peter and not James. We should. But we keep reading others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground where does faith lead what outcomes does it yield how does god reward faith if you want to use that term in this life we don't know it's not up to us Here's the other thing about Peter I think this is revealing You keep reading the book of Acts Peter is delivered Why? We want to say, because God in his good and perfect plan knew that Peter was necessary for this and that venture. And so he saved and spared Peter, not James, because Peter had a purpose that was going to achieve amazing things for God. And only Peter could do that. And that is how we reconcile and understand what happened to Peter and James. The problem with that is Peter basically disappears from the book after this chapter. So Luke doesn't let us think that way. Now, you may feel unsettled. I feel unsettled. But I'm going to say one thing at the end that I hope gives you the peace and the maturity and the answer and the wisdom that the unsettling has necessitated. Here is my job description in one verse. It is he whom we proclaim, Jesus. It is Jesus whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is my job description to try to work in such a way and teach in such a way with wisdom to present you mature in Christ. And here's the maturity, the wisdom, that I, I, I think Acts 12 pressures us to appreciate, to understand, to have peace with, to embrace, to be thankful for. And that is this. I mentioned before that faith is an interesting word when you get at it in the New Testament Greek. Pistis means faith, means faithfulness, means trust, means a series of sort of kind of semantically related phenomena. Here's what we've got to learn today. When we think of Peter and James and Hebrews, I think mature faith is this. It's not faith in outcomes. It's trust in God. God, here's what I want. Here's what I desire. Here's my heart. Here's the deliverance I want and need. I present it to you. And I trust you to hear this prayer, to answer it according to your will, for it to affect your heart, for it to matter that I'm praying it. And if it be your will, that you take the cup from me. But if not, my faith is that I trust you. That's faith. Amen.